Hey everyone, and welcome to Sincerely Letty. I'm your host, Letty Shoemate, here to bring you truth and knowledge about history, social issues, and more to help you connect the dots and see the bigger picture that is so necessary in our society today. Welcome back for another episode. I hope the week has gone great for y'all. I hope your March has started on a positive note. You have some goals to crush. You have some resolutions that you made the beginning of the year that you're still working on what have you, that's fantastic. I know I definitely have some things I have planned for this month that are going to get done. I'm already claiming it. I'm claiming it. I'm not claiming the procrastination or any of that because <laughs> I definitely have some things I'm trying to get off the ground and projects I'm very excited about. So yeah. And it is Women's History Month. If you're anywhere on social media, you've definitely seen posts about this and what have you. And this episode is actually going to focus on the forgotten history about women's suffrage. And this is something that actually frustrates me every year. Not even just in March. It's something that frustrates me throughout the year because for some reason... People always seem to have amnesia whenever it comes to historical facts, especially around feminism and women in history who were problematic. But before I get any further with that, let me say welcome to any new listeners that I have. And I'm particularly saying that on this episode because last week I was on Speaking of Racism's podcast. I was featured, which is so amazing and it's episode 45 on their podcast is titled celebrating black history with historian letty shoemate after that episode went live i was so overwhelmed in such a good way with the positive feedback i received about the episode you know i have people telling me they were inspired and they were motivated and that they could relate to things with me and y'all that was just really awesome I mean, I don't even have words to say but beyond that, except, wow, it was awesome, so amazing, I'm grateful for that opportunity, and I know I've said this in a previous episode, but I'm so thankful to Tina and Jen of the Speaking of Racism podcast for allowing me to have, yeah, that time to be on their podcast and to just talk about who I am as a historian and my experience at the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. And yeah, so if you haven't had time to listen to that episode, I advise you to make some time because it's one that you honestly do not want to miss. Also, I would really, really appreciate it if you would rate and review my podcast. Writing a review only takes a minute or two, and it makes such a huge difference whenever it comes to my visibility and my podcast popping up for other people to see it, and y'all know I'm out here trying to change the world with what I say on here, and really just trying to educate, connect some dots, talk about racial justice, social justice, and you know, these things are really important, and I want Sincerely Letty to expand and yeah that can be done with your help so again rate review thank you i do have one more thing to talk about for just a few minutes before i jump into this week's episode y'all it is so important to get out and vote 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 
vote for who you want. And also protect the vote if you do see anyone else's voting rights being infringed upon. All of what I just said is extremely important, but especially that last part, because more people need to accept the truth and accept the fact that black and brown communities are disproportionately affected whenever it comes to voting. I'll even add to that poor people, immigrants, and people who are disabled. People want to talk about this democracy that we are, but then people don't even have the basic democratic right to go out and vote without all of these hurdles to have to jump through. Like, what kind of democracy is that? So if you're out and you're voting and you see someone being treated unfairly or something's not right or someone at the poll says something that you know they shouldn't be saying or asking for an ID and everything you know they shouldn't be, yeah, do what you should do and step in and actually do or say something about that. And once again, vote. I could talk about this for another whole 30 minutes, but I'm not going to because I have more I want to talk about on this episode. But y'all, whenever I tell you that, okay, actually, let me back up. You know how people say history repeats itself? Right. It does. And that's what's going to happen if people don't get up, get out there and go vote to get the occupant of the White House out of the White House. And I'm going to also say one more thing, but mm, Bloomberg, no. He actually came to Wilmington, North Carolina last week and people were all excited about it. And I'm just like, y'all really do just have this idea of anyone blue for this election that's a whole problem like that's honestly a whole problem and i specifically said mike bloomberg just now because i woke up this morning and there was an article on facebook about him and i'm just like this is just he is no different from from 45 from trump okay i'm gonna stop because I told myself I was only going to talk about this for a minute. And it's been two and a half minutes, I think. So, <laughs> anyway, y'all get out there and go vote. All right, so let's go ahead and get into this week's episode. Like I said earlier, it is the beginning of Women's History Month. So, who would I be if I did not point out the problematic history of Women's History Month? Right, I just wouldn't be me, right? Okay. So, for those of you who don't know, the 19th Amendment was passed on, well, it's passed by Congress on June the 4th, 1919. It was actually ratified, though, on August the 18th, 1920. So, this year, 2020, is the centennial of the 19th Amendment. And it actually states... The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Last fall, I started hearing people saying, oh, you know, the 19th Amendment was for all women and we're celebrating that next year and women should be very thankful for the sacrifices that were made. And I'm sitting over here like, um, the 19th Amendment was for white women. And these white women suffragists, who you all praise, yeah, they didn't care about black women at all. So 
it's something that I honestly just get frustrated about because once again, it's history that's only being seen from a white viewpoint. And whenever you do that, and you're also out here talking about diversity and inclusion, you're just wrong. Because whenever you talk about women's history, you can't just talk about, oh, women got the right to vote in 1920. No, actually no, white women did. And you're not being inclusive whenever it comes to black women, Native American women, who and other women who could not vote for years after that. I mean, it was a completely different struggle whenever it came to voting rights and whenever it came to securing the vote for all women. And this just goes back to that whitewashed history where we're taught the 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. But what history books choose not to say, choose not to talk about, what people choose not to acknowledge is the fact that it was just white women. And also, not just that, also the fact that these white women suffragists were very blatant about the fact that they did not care about the black vote. We need not forget that while the 19th Amendment was monumentous, the reality was that it just did not grant this franchise to all women. And in practice, it just ensured that white middle and upper class women were the ones who were seen. And I mean, y'all, we see this today. We see this today in America, but I'm gonna get into that in a little bit too. But let me give you a little bit more history. Well, not a little bit more, a lot bit more history. So whenever people talk about the women's right to vote, I'm just like, okay, but Native Americans were not even granted citizenship until 1924. Because that's what I always come back with when people want to say, oh, well, all women. I'm like, well, actually, not all women were even seen as people in the United States. So there's that. And whenever you look at discriminatory Jim Crow laws, coupled with this like resurgent and violent KKK, there was a firm grip in Southern states to not allow black women to vote. When you really get down to it, black women in the South could no more exercise their right to vote in 1920 than black men after the passage of the 15th Amendment in 1870. And I say the South in that sentence in particular because I was talking about Jim Crow laws, but do not be mistaken, black women and brown women in America were not allowed to vote in 1920. Like, it just didn't happen. And sure, you can dig up this information and be like, oh, but there was this black woman who voted in New York, or there was this black woman who voted in New Jersey in 1920. Okay, no, we're not even going to play that game. I'm telling you, they couldn't vote. Also, it should be noted that the women's suffrage movement intentionally excluded the voices of black and brown women in order to advance his own agenda. And I'm gonna get into that a little bit more here. Because you see, racist white women are not my heroes. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, nah. 
whoever else. And because there's a whole list of people. But I'm not going to sit here and praise them or go put stickers on their graves that say, I voted. They didn't care if I voted or not. They didn't care if my ancestors voted. Instead, what they did is they used racism, they used white supremacy to allow their agenda to put themselves up higher than us to prevail. I'm going to talk for a little bit about Elizabeth Cady Stanton because this historical context is very important. And I'm just getting tired of people not wanting to acknowledge the truth. So here I am on my podcast telling the truth per usual. (laughs) So in 1979, Susan B. Anthony became the first woman to appear on a United States coin. And of course, Susan B. Anthony is remembered for her work in fighting for the women's right to vote. But it was actually Elizabeth Cady Stanton who launched the women's rights movement but she never got a coin. There's a book and it's titled Elizabeth Cady Stanton and American Life. It's by Lori Ginsburg. And I read it when I was getting my MA in history. So I read it about, I would say, I would say like seven years ago. Yeah, probably like seven or eight years ago. But anyway, I remember reading this book and my eyes being opened to who Elizabeth Cady Stanton really was. So in the book, Ginsburg talks about how Elizabeth Cady Stanton prioritized the concerns of middle class and upper class white women over anyone else. As Ginsburg puts it, Stanton was a classic racist who embraced fairness in the abstract while publicly enunciating bigoted views of African-American men whom she characterized as Sambos and incipient rapists in the period just after the war. The suffrage struggle itself took on a similar flavor, acquiescing to white supremacy and selling out the interests of African-American women when it became politically expedient to do so. This betrayal of trust opened a rift between black and white feminists that persists to this day. And just for reference, the book I'm talking about was published in 2011. When suffragists gathered in Seneca Falls, New York, in July of 1848, because we've heard of that in history, right? Right. Well, they advocated for the right of white women to vote. The people who were participating were middle and upper class white women, some white men who were claimed they were supporters, and then one black man, Frederick Douglass. As an abolitionist, Frederick Douglass had formed this working relationship with other abolitionists and white women suffragists, including Stanton and Anthony. But there were no black women who attended the convention, and no black women were invited. After the Civil War, it became clear that black and white women had very different views of why the right to vote was necessary. White women were out here acting like they wanted the vote as a symbol of parity with their husbands and brothers. Black women, most of them lived in the South at the time, were trying to get the ballot for themselves and for their black men as a means of empowering black communities that had just experienced centuries of brutality and were continuing to experience racial terror after emancipation. Of course, whenever the 15th Amendment started to be discussed, the tensions escalated even more. And the 15th Amendment was 
what was going to allow black men to have the right to vote. So the amendment later stated. As we know, that was not true. So what did Elizabeth Cady Stanton do whenever this happened? Well, she decided she was going to go on this Klan-like mission against the whole 15th Amendment. She went around and warned that white women would be degraded if black men preceded them in getting their right to vote. I mean, y'all, racism and elitism were these features of Elizabeth Cady Stanton's makeup and philosophy. And this is something that Lori Ginsburg talked about at length in her book. And I'm so glad because people don't want to talk about the problematic history of people who are your heroes. But Elizabeth Cady Stanton, y'all, she was a racist. Another historian, Faye Dudden, wrote that Stanton dipped her pen into a tincture of white racism and sketched a reference to a nightmarish figure, the black rapist, and lashed out from the pages of the suffragist paper that she and Anthony published. Her message, that passage of the 15th Amendment would mean only degradation for women at the hands of Negro men, must have cheered the KKK as it terrorized the black South. Frederick Douglass was obviously bothered by these names that Stanton and other racist white women suffragists used towards black men like Sambo, Boot Black, etc. And so he actually said, and this is him talking about white women and how they don't understand what black men have been through. So he said, when women, because they are women are hunted down through the cities of New York and New Orleans, when they are dragged from their houses and hung upon lampposts, when their children are torn from their arms and their brains dashed out upon the pavement, when they are objects of insult and outrage at every turn, when they are in danger of having their homes burnt down over their heads, when their children are not allowed to enter schools, then they will have an urgency to obtain the ballot equal to our own. And I'm sitting over here reading this like, Frederick Douglass was specifically talking about these white women. As we know, the 15th Amendment did get ratified in February of 1870, but let me just stress this again. It didn't matter because black men were not allowed to vote. Black men were lynched, beaten, tortured, murdered for trying to vote. Around this time, we see black women coming on the scene like Ida B. Wells, Mary Church Terrell, Um, who were prominent figures in anti-lynching campaigns. I'm going to talk about black women in just a few minutes, but I want to put a plug right here about Mary Church Terrell, who was a black women's suffrage from 1863 to 1954. In the National American Women's Suffrage Association's History of Women's Suffrage, there are recorded speeches by Mary Church Terrell. And in these speeches, she reminded white women that to exclude black women from voting because of race was like excluding white women because of gender. Also in her speeches to the suffrage organization, she repeatedly defended against the charges of corruption among black men, reminding white women of the racial barriers that kept many former enslaved men powerless and enslaved women. Terrell was an instrumental voice in building black women's clubs into a national movement for reform in the black community 
which was a separate black women's suffragist movement. This is also why whenever people talk about feminist movements today, I'm like, but well, you need to read the history about why there have always been different feminist movements because the agendas have never been the same. They're still not the same because there's still a lack of intersectionality and inclusivity whenever it comes to the dominant, and I'm gonna say dominant as in the white feminist movement that so many people want to talk about today. You actually don't want to talk about the issues that black women have, because if you did, you would be addressing them. Okay, back to history. In 1913, there was this huge suffragist parade in Washington, okay? And if you Google it, you'll see pictures and women carrying signs and all of this. Yeah, so black women were not marching with the white women because white women suffragists demanded that the black women participants march in an all-black assembly at the back of the parade instead of with their state delegations. Ida B. Wells was there and she was like, nah, I'm not doing that. Mary Church Terrell decided that she would do it. She actually marched with the Delta Sigma Theta sorority from Howard University. And she believed at the time that white suffragists would exclude black women from the 19th Amendment if they thought they could get away with it. But see, stuff like this has had a lasting impact on the black community's like view of feminism because the view of white suffragists at the time was already completely tainted because of racism. As a historian, I always tell people to be very careful whenever it comes to talking about the 19th Amendment and women suffragists because you're automatically going to be excluding black women. Because whenever you talk about it from the viewpoint of white women, yeah, you're only talking about white women because they didn't care about black women. Black women were in the South at the time because the Great Migration had not yet happened. So you did not have this big influx of black people leaving the South, going to the North. Even though they did do this though, around 1910 and the Great Migration happened, they still were not able to go up North and just vote easily. Don't get that twisted either because people want to think that because black people left the South and went to the North, they were allowed to vote. That is not true. They still dealt with the same racism. They still dealt with the same disenfranchisement whenever it came to the ballot box. White women basically realized that the way to get Southern states to ratify the 19th Amendment was with racial exclusion and racism and white supremacy. So by the time the 19th Amendment was passed, the former suffragists of the North were celebrating their amendment and were uninterested in fighting discrimination against black women who were suffering racial as opposed to gender discrimination. As historian Rosalind Turborg Penn writes, within a few years, white supremacy was victorious throughout the South. Unlike black men who had been disenfranchised within 20 years after the ratification of the 15th Amendment, black women had lost the vote in less than a decade. It would take another half century and a new suffrage campaign with black women in a leading role before that black community was fully enfranchised through the Voting Rights Act of 1965. People need to keep this in mind as they commemorate this movement where racism clearly played a central role. I mean, Elizabeth Cady Stanton said, among many other things, we educated virtuous white women are more worthy of the vote. She went on to talk about how much worse black men would be if they voted, how black women would never be equal to white women. It's all there. It's, 
it's all factual, okay? I'm telling you all this because whenever you're out here and you're listening to someone talk about the 19th Amendment and women's suffragists and how much they did, like, you're going to see people out here like, yeah, that's our country's history, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you're right, your country's history. Because what you're doing is you're completely erasing the experience of black women and brown women in America. And that is what American... Like, y'all, that's what racism does. That's what racism is. And that's why when people talk about Stanton and women's rights and their devotion to women, my first question is always, which women? What are the issues? Which women are we talking about? Whose concerns are going to take priority? And this is why... This is why I get frustrated today, okay? This is why I get frustrated when people talk about feminist movements and all of this stuff, because I'm like, but whenever you say feminist movement, whose issues are you thinking about? Only yours? Because you always talking about wanting to be better than people who came before you, but what we see happening today is the same stuff that happened pre the 19th Amendment. And during the whole women's suffrage movement that centered white women. All right, so now that I've called out white racist women in history and set the stage to show just how much harder black women had to work, let's talk about the black women suffragists. So black women actually tended to focus on human rights and universal suffrage rather than suffrage solely for women. Oh, why was that? Hmm, Maybe because they were excluded. But also because many black suffragists weighed in on the the debate over the 15th Amendment. And as I said before, the 15th Amendment um, would give black men the right to vote, but not black women. Black women suffragists um, Mary Ann Shad Carey spoke in support of the 15th Amendment, but was also critical of it because it didn't give women the right to vote, obviously. And then you also have other suffragists like Sojourner Truth, who argued that black women would continue to face discrimination and prejudice unless their voices were uplifted like those of black men. So also, black women believe that the issue of suffrage was too large and complex for just one group or one organization to tackle by itself. And I mean, black women tried to work with mainstream suffragists and organizations like the previously mentioned National American Woman Suffrage Association. But actually, this association prohibited black women from attending any of the conventions. So it's like white women said, oh, you can be part of this, but actually you can't participate. Say what? So black women suffragists started forming their own like anti-slavery societies. They formed different clubs and churches um, and their movement was more on a grassroots level in different parts of America. Because you see these mainstream movements didn't address any of the challenges that black women faced like negative stereotypes, harassment, rape, Um, unequal access to jobs, housing, education, none of that, okay? So yeah, that's why black women were like, all right, we're about to just form our own groups and our own organizations that focus on what we need. In the early 20th century, you saw more black women being committed to trying to secure their political rights. They started becoming involved in politics, especially where they could, and this was mainly in the northern and western states 
Why? Because Jim Crow didn't exclude them from politics as much. So you see black women starting to sign on as supporters of the Republican Party. I always make this very clear right here. The Republican Party at this time is not the Republican Party that we know of today. Let me put that again. The Republican Party back then would have been Democratic Party today. Because the party switched. This happened later on. That's a whole other podcast episode. But anyway, moving on. So yeah, black women had this distinct purpose and focus, which was to look at human rights because they wanted to see the rights for black men and black women alike. So they were actually not usually focused on single issue concerns. So they battled for political rights while they also advocated for education, prison reform, rights of working people, and they especially attended to troubles that arose at the crossroads of race and gender. In Boston, for example, black reformers like Josephine St. Pierre Ruffin and Charlotte Fortin Grimke founded the National Association of Colored Women in 1896. During their meetings at the Charles Street Meeting House, members discussed ways of attaining civil rights and women's suffrage. The NACW's motto, Lifting as We Climb, reflected the, the organization's goal to uplift the status of black women. And in 1913, you have Ida B. Wells, who founded the Alpha Suffrage Club of Chicago, the nation's first black women's club focused specifically on suffrage. After the 19th Amendment was ratified in 1920, some black women voted in elections and held political offices. Okay, I'm going to stop right there because this is where history books begin to messed up and people want to argue this and say, oh, but black women did vote. No, what you're not including in the history is the fact that states passed laws that specifically discriminated against black men and black women that did not allow them the right to vote and it infringed on their freedoms. There were poll taxes set up. There were grandfather clauses set up. There are all of these things set up so we were not allowed to vote. So you can't go around telling the half truth. You can't just go around saying, oh, but women could vote and some black women did. Okay, well, then these black men and these black women were threatened, okay? They were beaten, okay? Their families were lynched, murdered, because they were out here trying to vote. So I don't want to hear it. Don't come at me with that, because no, they couldn't vote. But black women continued to fight for their rights. Mary McLeod Bethune, who was an educator and political advisor, formed the National Council of Negro Women in 1935 to pursue civil rights. I mean, y'all, tens of thousands of black people worked over several decades to secure suffrage, which occurred, okay, whenever the Voting Rights Act passed in 1965. And this Voting Rights Act represents so much. I mean, it just shows a century of work that black women did to make voting easier and a lot more equitable, y'all. And I mean, they did this facing life or death, literally. So whenever I think of black women suffragists, I think of Sojourner Truth, Mary Church Terrell, Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, Sarah Parker Riemann, Fanny Barrier Williams, Mary Talbert, Adela Logan, Ida B. Wells, Mary Ann Shad Carey. I don't think about Stanton and Anthony and whoever else, whatever other white woman you want to tell me. I don't think about them because they were racist. They were racist, they upheld white supremacy, and they didn't care about black women. They didn't care about black men. 
And there's a lot more black women suffragists out there too. It's just, we don't hear about them. You know, we don't, they aren't the ones that we see on the pictures. They aren't the ones that we see people running to their graves and putting stickers on them because maybe they don't have, I don't, I don't even know. I just know that it's frustrating to me because we're in a country where people act like they just always want to have political, historical, and social amnesia. Even whenever you're like telling them the truth, people are still like, well, that was a different time. No, no, no. That's an easy cop out. That's an easy thing to say to run away and not have to face the history, not have to face your problematic ancestors, white ancestors that did this racist stuff. I mean, come on now. I mean, I've, I've definitely heard people this year trying to equate like, oh, the feminist movement to women's suffrage. That's why y'all are in the position that y'all are in now because y'all out here excluding all these people. So then the question becomes like, how do we reconcile widespread narratives of this triumphant movement towards women's enfranchisement with this more complicated and painful reality of so many black women's lived experiences in Jim Crow America? I'm going to refer to Kimberly Crenshaw here and talk about the word intersectionality. Because Kimberly Crenshaw argues that racism and sexism intersect in a manner that compounds black women's oppression. And even though all the history I talked about in this episode occurred way before Kimberly Crenshaw articulated intersectionality, it's really important that this theory be applied to all historical narratives that don't fully engage with these lived experiences of black women. Whenever you actually know the history of what really happened in 1848 at Seneca Falls and who Elizabeth Cady Stanton was and who Susan B. Anthony was, like, how does that change your view? How does your understanding of the history of all women's political empowerment in the United States change? Because if it doesn't change, there's a problem. It means that you're not reading enough of the right history. Because you see, we have to acknowledge the fact that number one, history is not nice or neat. It is not, okay? And the history of women's suffrage especially is not nice or neat because there's this impact of white supremacy that's all over it. This, there's racism written all over it. What we have to do is constantly acknowledge truth and engage in an intersectional celebration of women's rights activists and these events and these movements, these marches. We can't just keep looking at it from one side. I'm going to talk about something that's recently happened because it's extremely important in the context of women's suffrage, women's history, feminism, and really the point I'm trying to make about the hypocritical mindset that comes with, oh, all women empowerment and all women this and all women that, whenever at the heart of it all, white women in America jump at any opportunity to show their white fragility whenever it comes to a black woman empowering herself and empowering the black community. So there was a Target commercial, okay, that aired and it was about 30 seconds and it was advertising 
the Honey Pot. And the Honey Pot is this feminine care product line that was founded by a black woman named Beatrice Dixon. And in the commercial, Miss Dixon is explaining how Target changed her company and her hope for young black girls coming behind her. In the commercial, Miss Dixon said, the reason why it's so important for Honey Pot to do well is so the next black girl that comes up with a great idea, she could have a better opportunity. That means a lot to me. When I saw the commercial, even I felt inspired. And I immediately was like, oh, I want to go to Target and buy some of these products. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And this, it was just so cool because this company sells these plant-based products. I mean, menstrual products, cleansers, all of this stuff, right? And even to have representation like that makes black people feel more included. At least for me. I can't speak for all black people. I'm not the monolith for black people. But for me, that's how I felt. And apparently this commercial was actually released on February the 4th, but it didn't start making people mad until Monday, March the 2nd. I mean, you saw people on reviews with all these racist stereotypes, using the N-word and all these other slurs to basically insult this black woman and her black business. Why? Because she was empowering black girls. I'm gonna read a few of the reviews. I'm very disappointed that this has separated women by color. When are we going to just be women? Why does it matter if a girl is black, Mexican, Asian, or white? You should want all women to be inspired, not just black girls. Shame on you, Target, for allowing this. And then another reviewer. Why does Honeypot have to be racial? Why do you need to mention that you are black? Y'all, when I read this stuff, I was like, here we go again. White people losing it because there's a black woman out here speaking up. There's a black woman out here empowering black girls. And all these reviews, like, when are we just going to be women? Okay, y'all the same ones out here walking around, praising Stanton, praising Anthony, praising the women's suffrage movement, yelling about the 19th Amendment whenever they were racist white women who didn't give a damn about black women. But now you want to talk about when are we all going to be women? Also, let's just go past 1920. Let's just go past that, okay? How about all of American history? How about that? Where are all you white women whenever black women are out here pleading, okay, and crying because their children, their sons, black sons are dying at the hands of police? Where are you then? Where are you during the Black Lives Matter movement? Nope, but you have time to go put on a pink hat. You have time to go do all these other things to center yourselves. Where are you whenever black women are talking about mortality rates and the life expectancy of black women after they give birth? Where are you whenever it comes to these issues? Where are you whenever it comes to black women in healthcare, huh? Where are you with all of this? Because, I, and let, let me just be even more general right now. Where are you in general in the conversation whenever it comes to racism in America? Where were you whenever you voted in 2016? What side did you vote on? But you want us all to just be women? It's never just been all of us as women. 
You all made it this way. And y'all, I get so frustrated, as you can probably hear, because this is the issue, okay? You have a black woman, has a black-owned business, okay? Feminine care products. She's empowering black girls because she knows representation matters. And also because white people, everything revolves around y'all, okay? Everything. If every time I... If I made a fuss about everything that did not include me, I would have no other time in my day to talk about anything, okay? But the one time, okay, well, not not the one time, but recently, this whole thing has so many white people in this frenzy. And I'm like, y'all are really out here showing your behinds. But I mean, positive. Despite all of this, all these negative reviews, business is booming, at the honeypot. <laughs> and um, Beatrice Dixon, the owner, said that the company has seen a 20 to 30% rise in sales since the controversy began. And this is um, an article that was written Tuesday morning. So this morning. But yeah, I mean, and that profits on Monday were 40 to 50% higher than a, a normal sales day. Dixon said, I can't expect them to understand the plight of what it is to be a black woman co-founder in business. And let me tell y'all, I was so excited because you have all these black women on social media rallying behind the honeypot because we're not about to sit out here and watch one of ours be treated like that. I'm not about to sit there and do that. And I just... It's just really, really irritating. It's really, really frustrating because then what happens is whenever you see black women like myself getting upset about this, then you also have the backlash from white people talking about, well, you're getting angry, well, you're getting upset, well, you're excluding. Y'all exclude us every single day, every day, every single day. There are so many nuances that black women have to think about just trying to breathe and trying to live in America. And y'all out here, Y'all out here want to play the victim because that's always in what it was. I mean, think about what I just talked about previously in this episode, okay, whenever it came to the black woman's right to vote, okay, and how white women centered themselves in the white women's suffrage movement, okay, it made it about themselves, okay. They titled it to make it sound like they were for black women, but they were not. And there is so much racism seen in the reviews for the honeypot and... This is, y'all, this is the racism that is so deeply weaved into the fabric of our society that it doesn't even look like racism to so many people, but that's exactly what it is. I'm glad Target is standing beside Beatrice Dixon and the Honeypot. They actually released a statement to NBC and said, we're proud to work with with B. Dixon and the Honeypot team to highlight B's journey to build her brand, and bring her products to Target. We're aware of some negative comments about the campaign, which aren't in line with the overwhelmingly positive feedback we've received from guests who love and have been inspired by B's story. And I couldn't help but think about the fact that here we are on Women's History Month, all these women talking about empowering women and empowering this and empowering that and all of us together in unity and blah, blah, blah. But... Y'all out here tearing down a black woman because she has a business and she centered black girls, then everything else that you say doesn't mean anything. I also couldn't help but think, mm, 
what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. Because I used to hear that all the time growing up. <laughs> because, yeah, I'm about to go to Target and buy some products too, just so I can stand in solidarity with Beatrice Dixon and with the honeypot. Because y'all see what happened to Beatrice Dixon is just how racism and white supremacy culture show up every single day in America. This is why I constantly say racism is not individualistic, okay? It's not isolated. Racism is systemic and it's institutional. I'll say that on every single episode in my podcast if I have to, to get the point across. Because we see it. We see it as plain as day with what's happened with this honeypot commercial. And that's also why it's really important to acknowledge, okay, history and to see how what happened a hundred years ago does in fact still play a role in our country today. We see it right now, okay? And if we're going to be about dismantling white supremacy and we're going to be about being anti-racist, you have to first know the definition of racist. You have to first know the definition of racism and you need to first understand how all of these things show up every single day and how they attack, okay, black people and brown people in this country. And let me add, whenever it comes to the 19th Amendment, I'm not saying not to teach it, okay, I'm not saying not to talk about it, but whenever you do teach it and you do talk about it, to be inclusive of the truth, okay, and not to tell the half-truth. If you're going to talk about Stanton, you're going to talk about Anthony, you're going to talk about the women's right to vote, talk about who they really were, and whenever you talk about the women's right to vote, you can say, and you should say, this was the right to vote for white women. States in America passed laws where black women and black men were not allowed to vote, even though this amendment was passed, and it wasn't until 1965 whenever black women had the right to vote. You have to include all of the history, okay? You have to take time to say that, because people out here are talking about, oh, what this is the truth. No, that's half of the truth, all right? It's, matter of fact, to be honest, it ain't even half. It's like an eighth of the truth, all right? You have to be, you have to be aware and you can't, it's, it's not okay to be out here talking about diversity and inclusion or you can't, can't even define what those words mean. You think they're interchangeable. You think that they're not, okay? Diversity is the what, inclusion is the how. And as a historian, I do that with history. It's necessary, it's necessary, it's crucial. When you hear someone talking about the 19th Amendment, the women's right to vote, women's suffragists, if you're in an organization, if you're teaching it, what have you, okay, challenge these oversimplified and exclusionary historical narratives. Honor the black women and the women of color who fought tirelessly for the right to vote. Black women had a thousand times more obstacles to the face than any white woman did in, in trying to secure the right to vote. Because we weren't just fighting for the right to vote, okay? We were trying to fight for our humanity in a country that continuously made no room for us. And so today, when you think about feminism, where do your identity politics fall, okay? Is your feminism intersectional? Who are you centering, okay? Is, is your white fragility showing up? What are you actually out here doing? What we really need to do is recommit ourselves to having a women's movement that stands up for the rights of all women. Make it a point to do better this Women's History Month and also make it a point to not praise and clap for racist white women. As always, 
Until next time.